So, as I was wont, I was listening to Ron Dart, and he was in Malachi and talking about tithing, and I said, ha, I haven't talked about tithing in, oh, a couple of years, so it's probably a good time to do that. And then I continued to read in Malachi, and he talks about a book of remembrance. So that's what I'd like to talk to you about, the book of remembrance. To give you sort of historical context, many of you know it, I'm sure, Malachi was, of course, the last prophet in the Tanakh. He prophesied about a hundred years after the return from Babylon. The exiles, some of them anyway, came back from Babylon, and you had Ezra and Nehemiah, and they rebuilt the temple and all that kind of stuff. So it's been about a hundred years, and Malachi is prophesying into that. Israel is prosperous. They're not at war. There's nothing major going on. So Malachi, his entire prophecy is against the priests and the Levites and the leaders. What he is saying to them is, you guys have stopped following me, you've stopped caring, you have led people astray, and I'm really upset with you. That's sort of the message of Malachi, and and the way it's delivered is in a series of rhetorical questions that God asked, followed by sarcastic answers from the priests and Levites. So that's sort of the layout of the book. And where I want to be is in Malachi, end of 2, beginning of chapter 3. Let's start in Malachi 3.13. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord, but you say, how have we spoken against you? In other words, the statement is, your words have been hard against me, and the response is, what? Who, us? We have never, you know. So that's sort of the pattern of the book. Verse 14, you have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping the charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed, evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve God. So there's your book of remembrance. And by the way, there's an alternative translation, that I, and I'm going to do both translations. The one I've just read to you is from English Standard Version. And that one tracks most Christian Bibles. It tracks all the Christian Bibles that I have on my computer. And I've got, I don't know how many. The Jewish translation is different. We'll go through the Christian one first, and then we'll backtrack and go through the Jewish one, because they're very different, and they both have something to tell us. And what they have to tell us is different, depending on which translation you look at. First off, a book of remembrance. Remember, these guys have just come out of Persia. 
the Persian Empire had taken over from the Babylonian Empire and the Persians were the ones that sent them home. And one of the things that the Persian kings did is they had chronicles. And as things that happened that were important or people did important things for the king or so forth, that was written down by the scribes. So the idea of a book of remembrance for the king would have been culturally very familiar to them. And of course, the example that you want is the book of Esther, right? Remember what happened in the book of Esther? Mordecai uncovers a plot against the king. And the plot gets thwarted and the conspirators are executed and so forth. And then later on in the book, Esther 6, on that night, the king could not sleep and gave orders to bring the book of memorial deeds, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written how Mordecai had told about Big Than and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold and who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And the king said, what honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? So the whole purpose of the book, I mean, it's historical, lots of purposes. But one of the things that happens is when somebody does something good for the king, it gets written down. And at some point, it gets read back to the king. And he says, oh, yeah, right, yeah, Mordecai, what did we do for him? And of course, you all know the rest of the story. So this idea of a book of remembrance written for the king about the things that his subjects have done would have been, as I say, culturally very familiar to the Jews who just came out of Persia. So, let's look at the charge back here. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping this charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. So in this translation, what the priests are saying is, we don't see any difference between people who serve God and people who don't. As far as we can see, the evil prosper and they do fine and so forth. So why are we doing all this stuff? And of course, earlier in the book, it talks about, for example, robbing God. The idea of not bringing in tithes and offerings. And that all flows from this attitude. The attitude is, we're just going through the motions. God doesn't seem to care, doesn't seem to matter. So if you back up then in Malachi, what you find is that the priests and the Levites and the leaders have become corrupt because they don't see that God really cares what you do. So I'm suggesting to you that sort of the distillation of the attitude of the priests, the Levites, and the leaders is here in chapter 3. All the other specific things that have come down, not doing tithes and offering, not teaching, abandoning the wife of your youth, all of those kinds of things lead up to this, but the attitude that had got them there is what we're seeing in Malachi 3. Now, one of the things about God, and you all, I'm sure, know this very well, is God tends to be subtle in history. 
It's very rare for God to land on a mountain so the mountain smokes. That's a really rare phenomenon. He does it, but rarely. So most of God's hand in history is very subtle. There's an exception. And the exception is Israel. Because Israel has a covenant, and so what God does is periodically when they finally go off the rails, which they do about every 20 minutes, is God sends them a prophet and says, straighten up. And as I've said to you many times, if a prophet comes into your town, it's not to tell you how good a job you're doing. God feels the need to send you a prophet. It's because you've messed up and he wants you to straighten out. And the idea of the prophet is, if you straighten out, these curses will not happen. Now, Israel typically does not straighten out, so the curses then happen. Israel has got direct physical evidence of the fact that God intervenes in history, and God has his hand on them, and that he will act in accordance with the covenant and do whatever is necessary as he sees the covenant. They have direct evidence. And notice, they can't keep it straight. How much less do we stay straight? We Gentiles, who have far less direct evidence ourselves, we got the written word and all that kind of thing, and that's wonderful, but we don't have in our lives the direct physical evidence that Israel has. So, in this first translation that I just gave you, what you have is the elites have gone astray, yet there is a remnant. And that remnant talks among themselves about God. And they talk about him respectfully, reverently, believingly. And so what God does is says, those, those folks, in the midst of all this corruption, those folks are staying faithful, and they're still talking about me, and they're encouraging each other, then I'm going to record their words in a book of remembrance, and when the time comes that I make up my treasured possessions, I'm going to open that book. And yeah, here he is, right here. See what he said? So that's translation number one, and let's continue with that for just a minute. The idea there for us is we live in an environment right now that I will gently suggest is every bit as corrupt as anything that Israel ever saw. Because the priests in Israel's time, I'll read you from Malachi 2, the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from my way, you have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts, and so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Now what does showing partiality in your instruction mean? I will suggest what it means is you tailor your message to the culture. The culture is off doing whatever the culture is doing. Adultery, idol worship, sodomy, 
sacrifice, all those kinds of things. And what the priests are doing, they are tailoring their message to that culture, not in a condemning way. So, let's look at our church today. Do we have churches that do not speak the word of God as written in a condemning way into the culture? Sure. Do we have ministers, rabbis, and priests who are lovers of money? Sure. Do they tailor their message because they are lovers of money? Do we have priests, rabbis, and ministers who are adulterers? Yeah, it's sort of a meme that these guys get caught messing around in the choir. Do we have sodomites? Ooh, we have a church that is run by celibate males, and they are a nest of sodomites. Not, not all of them. Understand, I'm not saying everybody who's celibate is a sodomite. But again, it's rampant enough that you have major court cases where entire dioceses get rumbled through. Do we have ministers, priests, and rabbis like that? I will suggest, yes, we do. Now, understand that priests, ministers, and rabbis are drawn from the culture. They grew up in this culture. And the problem is when they came into the clergy, whatever, they didn't leave the culture at the door, they brought it in with them. And by the way, that's what much of the church did. When the church hit a pagan empire or a pagan world, what the church did is they said, ha, these guys are used to worshiping on December 25th. It's a feast of Saturnalia. What we'll do is we'll just move the birth of Christ right there and we'll co-opt that rascal and we'll convert them all. Ask any priest, minister, or rabbi who knows his history, and he will tell you that's what happened. And they did it on purpose, for what they saw as a good purpose. The point I'm making is, in Malachi, what's happened is the priests, ministers, and rabbis are leading the people astray because they are tailoring their message to the culture that they live in. Because if they don't, they don't get tax-exempt status, they don't get tithes and offerings, they don't get respect and honor, they don't get any of that stuff if they go contrary to the culture. And I'll give you an example of that. Look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah comes into that culture and he says, whoa, you guys are really screwed up, repent. What do they do? They beat him and throw him in jail. So the idea of a priest, minister, or rabbi suddenly stepping out of the culture and saying, oh boy, we got to turn around and straighten up here. They look at what happens to people like Jeremiah and so forth. I'm not sure I want to do that. They don't think it through that way, but you understand what I'm saying. So what we've got is the same situation. And what I'm suggesting to you is that as you who know the word of God, speak among yourselves and other faithful believers, and you talk about the things of God both respectfully and as if they are true and real, which they are, then what happens is there's a book of remembrance. And what God is saying is, I will pay attention to those people and their names will be written in my book of remembrance. And when the time comes when I finally act, those will be my treasured possessions. That's what Malachi is saying. Now, let me give you the alternative translation. 
This is from the Jewish Publication Society. There's one sentence in there that changes the meaning. So let me read it now with that changed sentence. So Malachi 3.13. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. In this vein have those who revere the Lord been talking to one another. Let me read those two sentences side by side. So the Jewish translation is, In this vein have those who revere the Lord been talking to one another. Christian is, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. In the Christian translation, you have a break, different group of people, and those are the ones that are faithful. In the Jewish Publication Society, it is the people who are talking this way. And by the way, I personally think the Christian translation is correct, but I'm not a Hebrew scholar, and the people who translated it are, so I'm assuming that they've got good reasons. This teaches us something different. What this teaches us is that the people have seen the society around them, and they have said, what is the point of serving God? Because look at all these people who prosper. So it's not the priests who are saying it, it is the common people. And the blame goes back to the priests, the ministers, and the rabbis, because they're the ones that are supposed to be speaking the truth. And they are so much not speaking the truth that everybody looks at the society and says, wow, we are really screwed up. Then priests, ministers, and rabbis aren't doing what God said. Why should we? You see the difference. Now, why is that important? And why is that interesting? And why would those people be written in a book of remembrance? And I will take you to Psalm 73 for your answer. And I'm not going to read the entire psalm. Psalm 73 starts with, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My feet had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Skip down to verse 9. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongues stretched through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. So you have the arrogant, they're strutting around the earth, they're blessed, everything seems to be going really well for them, and therefore they become an example to folks who don't know any better. Can you say Washington? Can you say Hollywood? Back to verse 9 again. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say... How can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. So do you see that the psalmist is really saying the same thing as the Jewish publication society is saying? It's the same sentiment. And I'm assuming the psalmist is a good guy. 
I'm assuming that if he got a psalm written in the book, he's a good guy. So if you read on in the psalm, what he said is, I had almost stumbled. I saw the way the world works, how the wicked prosper, how the arrogant prosper, how God doesn't seem to do anything about it. And the thing that changed my mind is when I went into the temple of God and I was shown their latter end. And the deal here is, of course, as I started off saying, in the Christian translation you have a break, different group of people, and those are the ones that are faithful. In the Jewish Publication Society, it is the people who are talking this way. Now, why is that important? As I started off saying, God does work in the world, but it's often very subtle. It's very often easy as you look at the sports figures, you look at the Hollywood figures, you look at politicians, all of these elite folks, I will gently suggest that very few of them have lives that you should emulate. I will suggest that that's probably not a good idea. And what they're doing is they are pumping out lies and deception with the idea of bringing you in to their orbit. That's the game. And whether you say, wow, that's entirely wrong. I'm not going to do it. And then you talk among yourselves and get written in the Book of Remembrance. Or whether you say, what use is there me being righteous? And the answer to that becomes, you read on in the book. And Malachi says, when I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. So there is going to come a reckoning. And those who fear me are going to be spared. Those who do not fear me are not going to be spared. And as I said earlier, Israel has lots and lots of graphic, direct, physical examples in their own culture, and they lose track of it. How much more are we? So the question then becomes, what's the use of those books? And what I will do is I will take you to Revelation. It's always a good place to end. Revelation 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Notice the dead were judged by what was written in the books, plural, according to what they have done. And what I will suggest to you is one of those books is the book of remembrance. And what God says is if you are one of those in the book of remembrance, when the books are opened at the great white throne, that book will also be open, and I will see. You're someone who did me a service, just like the king of Persia saw. This is someone who did me a service. What has been done to honor him? And in many of our cases, the answer is going to be in this life, nothing. This life is difficult. It truly is. So... 
just as King Ahasuerus said, what has been done to honor Mordecai for his service to me? And the answer was nothing. Very similar may be, oh, look at Ken here. His name's in the Book of Remembrance. What's been done to honor Ken? And the answer may be nothing yet. So regardless of which way you read this, the idea is you look at this culture and it's very easy to despair because there's a lot about our culture and about Hebrew culture that could cause you to despair. And the idea here is even if you look at it in the sense of the psalmist and say, what's the point? Understand that if you talk among yourselves and out in the world about the things of God and you speak correctly, you speak reverently, what will happen is God will remember. That's what he says. And when the books are opened, the question is going to be asked, what has been done to honor my servant? And the answer may be nothing yet. Shama